people. Let's show the people. I hit record right as you were saying that. So I think that's like the perfect intro. So Amazing. <laughs> I am here with Stephanie Orlick and I was just like, should I go to press record? Because in the five minutes that we've been talking pre-recording, we've just been getting into all of this really deep but fun stuff that we're going to talk about today. And I just, for listeners, I want to give a little bit of an apology because it's a beautiful day in Los Angeles. We don't get wind or overcast or rain a lot, and we have all of those things today. So I'm recording right next to an open window. So if you hear wild parrots or trucks go by, like just, just be happy. I'm enjoying nice weather instead of being annoyed by the background noise. So... <laughs> <laughs> I um so to give a little bit of context about Stephanie she's a she's a remote psychic healer. She is known on Instagram as the snake channeler because she receives psychic messages through snakes which was like we we talked about this a little bit but we've just sort of like crossed Instagram paths through mutual Instagram family and I like she something in the algorithm brought you more into my feed, Stephanie. And yeah, I feel the <laughs> same way, which is so um, perfect and magical. I think that there's something about co-creative magic with the algorithm that is just so aligned. It's um, true. Yeah. yeah, it's very true. And I'm just so excited to talk to you. Because we're going to talk about, you know, your path into witchcraft. We're going to talk about your work with the snakes. But also, like, one yeah. of the big things that you talk about on your platform is, you know, your history being an addict, which is something that, I, you know, my listeners know I've dealt with. Um, and so we're going to talk about upgrading addictions. But I want to start with your path. What, Absolutely. What led you to where you are now in terms of your spiritual practice and the services that you offer? And what are those? Wow. Okay. So maybe I'll start from the bottom to the top. Perfect. Um, I offer something called psychic snake readings where I channel information through my snakes who specialize in ushering our clients into a limitless consciousness. And then I, as a psychic, am just very focused on connecting the most direct path of unimaginable upgrades. So if you can imagine opening up all of the Akashic records in one person. There's endless information around people. And specifically what I am always looking for with the snakes is where there is a block in somebody's Akashic records and then just allowing the snakes to usher a sense of limitlessness in there so that we can just continue to unimaginably upgrade. And, um, you know, I think that this work is so much in tandem with me being a woman who's working with snakes, I think that that is like a very important part of the type of hypnotic feeling that we achieve through this work. And um, I suppose then how I came into this is I am just legit a grown up who was a child who spoke to snakes. Okay. <laughs> and yeah, I've always talked to snakes. The first time I was called a witch was at a zoo. I was seven years old in a room of snakes, talking to snakes. And a, gr a girl walked in and saw what I was doing and screamed and called me a witch and went running out. And so that was kind of like the very first part of this awakening for me where I got the privilege to um, start to see that there was something very mysterious about this ability to communicate. 
And it wasn't until um, about three years ago where my snakes just said, no, we want you to now um, talk with people and tell them what we're saying. And that eventually evolved into me translating it into psychic snake readings. And and it took over my whole life, honestly. It went from um, me being a artist working on so many different things. And, you know, I had a vintage business. I was painting. I was teaching. I was sometimes, like, working in the service industry to wow, my books are so full with events and clients with this work that's come through the snakes, but um, I just completely surrendered my life to it, and and thus we're here. Um, I've had a lot of spiritual background. Um, It's a very, I have a very multicultural background. Um, I was born in Denver, but raised in public schools in Johannesburg. And I think that, yeah, that this like kind of otherworldly spiritual influence is really also what seems to give my being permission to do something that's really out of the box for us culturally here. Yeah. So there's my, there, there it all is. When I'm so curious, how, like, do you remember about how old you were when you were at the zoo and you were called a witch? Did you say it was like seven or eight? Yeah, about seven. Yeah. Okay. Do you remember what your emotional reaction was to someone like? Oh my- <laughs> <laughs> um, I thought to myself, like, wow, that if it, I, I wanted to give the experience of me talking to the snakes a word, right? And I was just like, what is this? Yeah. And I, I had studied snakes. I knew so much about snakes and I walked into this room and started talking to them and I was like I just want a word for this you know how do I tell people what's happening here and then that girl called me a witch and I just smiled you know I, it was this <laughs> thing where I was like I had just been waiting for a label or for a reaction that made sense for who I am and that was it and um then I really gave myself permission from there to start diving into witchcraft and and anything about witches I was all over and I loved actually my mom always helped me find books about good witches and I really appreciate that in her I was gonna ask because I like I was not encouraged to practice witchcraft so I was just curious like how did you, so when you're saying your mom helped you find books about good witches, was this like fairy tale Mm -hmm. books or like actual occult books? They were not occult books. They were more like novellas, you know, they were like, um, I wish I could remember what any of these books actually were, but, um, I, I remember one book that I just loved was about a, a witch who lives in the woods and, um, she used different to heal the animals and friends around her and so I you know I think that it for what my mom was showing me at a young age it was more about how the story of how women who self-healed and used natural modalities um, to orchestrate their lives were deemed witches but could actually be good people Mm -hmm. and I think that that is um really such a huge gift that my mom gave me yeah 
Do you, yeah. Do you remember your first interaction with like a legit occult book or tarot cards or anything like that? <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, when I was 11, I was taken into a Sangoma's healing room uh, every Sunday. Um, Sangoma is a South African witch doctor, a South African healer. And um, so that really started to open up my my psychic to, oh, wow, something's happening here. I didn't actually speak Zulu fluently at, at that time. So I didn't understand the language, but I was hearing something ethereally. And that sent me on a hunt to find out anything else that could feed this. And uh, there was this one Oracle book that me and my friends at maybe 12 years old were just obsessed with. And I think that that was probably my first actual interaction with occult magic was this particular Oracle book, you know, like, just asking so many times over, like, does Matthew have a crush on me? Yeah. Does Matthew have a crush on me? <laughs> you know? And um, and from there, this particular group of friends and I were starting to do, like, light as a feather, stiff as a board, yep. that kind of play, and just really continuing to get into that wordlessness. Um, and, I, you know, I found the Satanic Bible when I was, like, 13, which I thought was also very amusing. Never really bought into that whole thing, but I thought that yeah. it was great to find out that something like that existed. And, um, actually, the first time that I read tarot, I was probably 15 years old, and a group of my guy friends taught me how to read tarot. Aww, so that's never, yeah. like, that's never how it happens. It's always the wild. <laughs> Yeah, I know. I um, Men have always kind of popped into my life to heal me and, and they brought me tarot. That's really so, cool. Thank you. Yeah. It's, all of those things are so fun to think about, right? Like, it's really like, I feel like occult magic and occult ritual, it's always exciting and and it's exciting to look into the past of it it's exciting to look into the future of it and it's exciting every morning to think about it you know I I love that it's just this this work that continues to gift and I think that like for me everyday magic is so much more fulfilling and I I do love like casting spells and doing rituals but like just everyday magic, like lighting a yellow candle because I need energy or putting on lavender oil because it's affiliated with mercury and I'm doing an interview, like stuff like that. That's just like, okay, I'm tapping into what I need. And then I'm like giving myself some, like a tool to help. Absolutely. Yes. What are some, sorry, I cut you up. Oh, you're you're okay. I I don't think I was going anywhere important with that one, honestly. Okay, <laughs> I was going to ask you, like, um, what are some of your favorite everyday magical tools or practices that mm. you'd like to share? Oh, great! Um, I love that archetype of the witch looking in the mirror. You know, we have that that mm. archetypal kind of um, beauty in Snow White. And I just love mirror work. I love affirmations. I 
have been told that even as an infant, my favorite toy was a mirror. And I, yeah, I love the mirror work as a way to remind myself how I feel and to remind the the being in the mirror, how we feel, so that if I drop the ball, at least she's got it, you know? Aww, <laughs> and, I love that and way it really, of phrasing it, yeah. Yeah, it gives, gives me such a, like, beautiful sense of, um, of security. And as simple as it is, I love watching the sun rise and fall. Mm-hmm. Um, that has become so pivotal for um, creating a, an infrastructure of, stability and consistency in me right yeah I'm curious because I want to I want to delve a little bit deeper into your work with the snakes how many snakes do you have Mm -hmm. right now right now I have one snake I have worked with three physical snakes in in this realm and the snake that I specifically work with is named Shasha and not Shasha Ananta of Naga and Anybody can Wikipedia that um, limitless serpent, and I had no idea that that's who I was working with for uh, many years. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, um, they are pretty serious about freeing humans of our cultural expectations. So they're here for everybody. I'm curious, like when it comes to your snakes home I don't like calling them cages or even like aquariums but like your snake's room your snake's bedroom do you totally add like (laughs) crystals do you bring magical elements into its habitat to recharge it what is that like yeah um great question every snake likes their terrarium different Uh um and it's so interesting because like sure as people we see uh, snakes in the wild and they're like off living their best life right and then some people see like my snakes in terrariums and they're totally stumped but what my snakes say is that um, in the wild boa constrictors live to be about six years old and in ca- captivity they live to be about 35 years old and so all snakes want to really let us all know that they cannot be held captive against their will is that um, some snakes just choose a life of consciousness growth versus environmental interaction growth. Mm -hmm. And um, with that being said, from there, it's all about making my snakes a sanctuary that works best for them. So I had one snake, my first snake, Ananta, she would not accept anything in her terrarium. Like, I would give her all kinds of offerings, and I would wake up in the middle of the night to her banging anything up against the terrarium walls, just demanding that it leave. Oh, wow. So, she literally just had water. She didn't want anything else in there. She said that it was it was just convoluting her consciousness. She was a minimalist. A minimalist. <laughs> she really <thing>. was. <laughs> yeah. Tisha, on the other hand, I swear, has, like, brought me to the vet just so that the vet can tell me that he needs more snake furniture just to get me to go shopping for him more. <laughs> so Shisha is like very lavish. Like he really likes all of his dirt. He really loves a huge water bowl. He loves to reorganize his dirt. He loves to show me that he's digging and how he's like restructuring things. 
And he's really all about creating different foundations and people. And so he just loves terraforming his terrarium. And <laughs> um, yeah, as far as crystals and how they, um, how they recharge, how the snakes recharge, they love plants. Um, they'll just talk to plants day in and day out. Oddly, they're also too heavy for most plants to be in their terrarium they just kill them so um so sometimes we go down like the the slow path of having plants in their terrarium but a lot of the time taking my snakes on walks and having them interact with trees and um according to my boa constrictors they are just plants who chose to left to leave the ground so um, when they re- need to return to like their center, they return to plants. Oh, so the snakes yeah. really say that they're like plants that decided to leave the ground. Like that's the spirit of the snake. Yeah. Oh, do you ever have clients send you stuff for your snakes? I'm sorry. What did you say? Do you ever have clients that like send you stuff for your snake? Oh, interesting. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Um, for a hot second, uh, one of my snakes continued to collect quartz crystal from people. Oh. <laughs> and, yeah. And um, recently, somebody gifted Shisha a, like, prism that cast rainbows into his terrarium and he just loves that oh I love rainbows too I get it yeah (laughs) yeah they're pretty beautiful (laughs) when you give readings are they all like over zoom or the phone or do you do in person as well well we're pretty much all over the place I love to do this remote readings I think that it's so important to receive spiritual and psychic upgrading in the comfort of your own home. Yeah. And um, then there's also been occasions where it's almost like it's too scary for somebody to step into that space alone. So we do like uh, small group readings where it'll be like a group of five people and everybody gets to support each other as, as we go around the circle and read everybody. Um, of course, like before 2020, it was uh, pretty much all in real life. And yeah. and now we're mostly remote mm-hmm. and we meet with a very select client for um, real life readings. And, and in both ways, it's all so beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I know. People always ask me, like, can you do readings over the phone? And I'm like, they're kind of better. Like, <laughs> they're kind of better sometimes. Yeah, right. Totally. Everybody's so comfortable, you know, mm-hmm. and and you can be laying in bed and getting your, your transmission and then just ease into a nap instead of having to worry about um, how to get home. That yeah. actually was something during the, the real life readings when people would come over to my studio to get readings, which is how we always were doing it at the beginning. Um, Some people would become so entranced by the work that they weren't able to drive home, you know? So it was, it was always a process of like integrating people back. And, 
And the remote readings really just give people space to integrate back on their own speed and on their own time without any pressure, which I think is so beautiful. How long do your readings typically last and what's that process usually like? Yeah, so the readings are typically 60 minutes long. We do offer 30-minute readings. To be honest, those 60-minute readings just are such a home run, though. You know, within 60 minutes, we're able to dive into what seems like everything. And over the course of 60 minutes, somehow the snake channel speaks so non-linearly that people find those recordings lasting their um, new upgrades for about a year. And it's really powerful to see that. So over a reading, what tends to happen is I'll, I'll start by asking them what brought them in and really going from there and seeing what the infrastructure is that a person is operating their life from if there is any um, injuries in their foundation, the snakes are really good at repositioning a perspective to healing that. And from there, we start to look at the anatomy of the person that the snakes are showing me. And and the, the snake's anatomy diagram could bring up prescriptions of different diets. It could bring up prescriptions of um, really just different practices, something that the snakes just love to bring up during that time is a key to a person having a rebellious but aligned and fun time. They seem to insist that it's really important for humans to rebel in a healthy way. Yeah. And they're really fun focused. Um, you know, for every pain that every person has ever felt, there's certainly an aligned fun activity to heal that. And the snakes really love working with the recipes of life and action to make a greater whole for us in in our daily lives Mm -hmm. so that's what we get up to and we'll talk about anything that says normal as diet and as abnormal as like off planetary um (laughs) interaction and like if we're talking to an alien sometimes that comes out you know yeah and right (laughs) and sometimes it's just like the most normal thing and I'm wondering like wow like uh, is this person going to be fine with just hearing so much normal stuff? And it seems to be so beautiful also to go into such a abstract and out-of-the-box place to seek um, spiritual nutrients and then to just yeah. be given something that's so understandable too. I think Um, it's really important to have both. Like this is where you can get your nutrients, whether it's from an alien. And then like, this is where things are more practical. Like this is what I'm seeing with your diet, because if you don't have both, like if you don't have information that can tie someone to what they're experiencing in their physical form, I feel like it can get dangerous because there are people who are like, there are readers who you know, if all you do is like 
alien contactee stuff and all you do is like past life readings and all you do are things that like can't be necessarily validated through how you're feeling in the moment I'm like are you are you just someone with a really good imagination or are you like going to give me information that is pertinent to where I am now? Absolutely. And, and that integration, right? Because yes, we are as a people moving into esoteric expansion, but we're also people who are still moving around with these cellular bodies. Yes. <laughs> so the, the balance of knowing how to activate this body so that esoteric expansion and consciousness expansion can happen while also not becoming so detached that you don't return. Um, yes, that's very it's important. very important to return. <laughs> yes, because you're here because you have some sort of work that you have to do in the physical realm. Right. And I, right. Yeah. I mean, I, I even my own personal psychic awakening, I feel like I spent too much time in the ether and I was disconnected mm-hmm. without realizing it. You know, it took me training and meditation to figure out like how to control and use discernment. And so it's just like, it's very important, like you said, to just like return, bring it back into your body. Yeah. Yeah. Bringing it back into the body seems to be such a key to discernment, right? Our bodies are the compass. Yes, they totally are. Mm -hmm. Everything that you're saying about like, you know, what you and your guides are talking about during readings, um, like to me, it sounds like the information, the type of information that like I get from my guides or I get from the guides of the people that I'm speaking with. And mm-hmm. I'm curious, like, do you f- sense that you have guides outside of the snakes or do you think that your guides use the snakes as a vessel? Like what's that relationship like for you? Oh, interesting. I have a whole council. I seem to have like a council of snakes, then I have a multitude of different guides and cosmic allies. And I'd say too that my cosmic allies are different from my guides. The cosmic allies are the enforcement that I will bring up if I am in need of something that's bringing me to my higher potential. So Mm -hmm. that's when I call it truth. You know, and I'm like, hey, everybody who likes me, get over here right now. <laughs> yes, I, I, I like that. That's your like your official like, hey, if you like me and you come here. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, and then my guides are, um, they come in so many different forms. And I think yeah. that my guides, aside from the snakes, do tend to kind of move through and in waves, almost like you would move through waves in in school or something where I'll work with maybe one group of entities for yes. like four years and then I'll have graduated on to some sort of different program for two years. And it's really beautiful to have this exchange where everybody is pretty free flowing. You know, we we meet and we guide and we coexist and then if they're gone, then somebody else appears. Yes. And I, I love that, that fluidity. It seems to me like that's more unique for our time right now than it has been in the past too, that maybe in the past it was more common to just work with one guide or one set of guides for your whole life. And um, it seems like in some form of quickening, humans are just able to really process 
so much in yeah. guidance right now that guides also move on because um, we all have more freedom somehow. Yeah, no, I totally agree with that. And I like, I feel the exact same way with my guides. Like it's fluid. I have like certain staples that like, I know, like they've been here long enough to where I know that they're here, like they're here, here, but they're like, yeah, like you said, there's a fluidity and I'll even like, I always try to explain that to my clients because like, you know, if I tell you, you have a guide and then we have another reading a year later and I describe a different type of guide it's like, well, yes. you, you have a different set of needs right now. And right. that's what's Yeah, you're a completely to. new person. Exactly. Yeah. Yes, it's contingent totally. on what you need, I think. Oh, I just love that. It's Being a human is so freeing. At every given moment, we're hundreds of millions of dying cells that are also replenishing hundreds of millions of new cells. And with that being said, like, as our bodies continue to shift, our minds and our souls are continuing to shift. So, of course, everything that we need is subject to change between diet and activity and guides. It, it's all new. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And I feel like we need that, too, though, because we are so complex. Like, mm-hmm. it keeps things interesting to have a different point totally. of view, to have a different view, like, on any given day. Yeah, it's so beautiful. So I wanted to, because one of the, one of the things that we were going to discuss that was like one, kind of one of the reasons why I reached out, um, was that we, you know, you talk a lot about addiction and upgrading your addictions. And I was curious, you know, like if you would like to elaborate on sort of like what that relationship with yourself and your addiction is like. Yeah, absolutely. I, um, I became aware of myself as an addict at a pretty young age. I would say I was maybe as young as 16. And um, it was with the perspective of watching specifically my dad and then watching myself get mad at my dad for drinking and then myself wanting to turn to drink. And I caught myself. And I started to realize that if I wanted to do any one thing that because of this addictive behavior, that the next day I would want to do this. So, um, you know, kind of typical of a healing process. It started in a dark spot where I was, I mean, a dark spot. It was just perfect for what it was, but you know, I mean, it was, it was a harder time where I was turning to alcohol. I was turning to, self-mutilation and um and things were a bit chaotic and I realized when I pulled myself out of cutting when I pulled myself out of alcohol that if I just gave myself any one thing in a given day I would wake up and I would still want to do that one thing so I started to use my addiction and to drive my addiction at a young age but it wasn't until things really hit the fan um, in my mid-20s where I was, I just really caught my own wake-up call and I decided that alcohol was just not for me. Right. And so I haven't drank in so long and the process of, the process of not drinking was really bizarre. Um, I just, 
had this wild ability to just put the brakes on it completely, stop cold turkey. Yep. And then the cultural narrative for what was going on was, oh, no, I'm sorry, you have a problem. And, oh, well, you need to talk about your problem with someone. And, and with that narrative, I, I went to an AA meeting and I was like, great, I am here to do this. I have a problem. I am so glad to know about it. And as I was sitting there, my soul was just like, not this. You yeah. <laughs> don't have a problem. There's no problem in stopping a depressant. There's no problem at all in that. Just, yeah. And I felt like I couldn't speak in that environment because what I had to say was, I feel like Beyonce now that I'm not drinking. Yeah. And that was not the vibe of the room, you know? So yeah. I quickly left and I started to adapt my own vocabulary for this process. And, and I actually think that um, the, the cultural perception of what addiction is, is a complete fallacy that's made to hold us down. I think that addiction narrratives can be really helpful to save certain people's lives. And I also think that it can be super oppressive for other people who are just ready to not live with substance anymore. I, and, sorry, go ahead. Oh, and <laughs> I, I just, I'm so excited that there is more space to talk about all of this because in those moments of pain where I was making a really good choice for myself, it was really painful to be told that I had a problem. And I just encourage anybody who feels any desire to stop any kind of substance that it's that's a really beautiful notion um and i think that addicts are really important for our world like if addicts are the people who we can just literally give ourselves one thing that we do one day and then know that we're going to show up for the next five days to do that um you know, that's a really determined person. And I think that determined people are actually the quickest saviors to this planet, in all honesty. So there's something huge and something very powerful about addicts if we can just love ourselves for being the consistent, uh, the consistent people that we are. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I agree with that. And like what you said too, because like, I, like, I don't know, like everything that I've shared with you about my past, but like, I was like a mm-hmm. fucking junkie, like hardcore, mm-hmm. like shooting up crazy person. And, mm-hmm. uh, I have theories now that a lot of it was stuff I was absorbing from my ex-husband because it was like, he moved out and I quit and I got clean, but it was like you did like cold Turkey. Like I just stopped. But it landed me in the emergency room because I couldn't hold anything down. Like the withdrawal symptoms were just really severe. Right. And I remember, I remember the doctor like giving me pamphlets for like rehab, like, like city, like city ran, like government ran like rehabs and stuff like that. And I just was like, I just looked at him and I was like, I don't need any of this. Like, I don't need any of this paperwork. I'm going to do it myself. And he rolled, he rolled his fucking eyes at me. And I did like, I never relapsed. I just stopped at this, you know, like at that point in time, um, I've had like, like, um, 
opiates that were prescribed to me because I had like tooth extractions. You know what I mean? Like I've only uh-huh. ever had it for like doctor prescribed medical reasons. And I just like remember knowing that I had to do it myself, knowing that I could count on myself. And if I could count on myself, that was like, that was it. That's all I needed. But I had a friend who like used, you know, that I used to like before it, before it was heroin, it was pills that I used to do pills with. Uh-huh. And he went to N.A., And he started Uh shooting up before I did because he went to N.A. and met people in the parking lot who would wait for N.A. meetings to release to, like, push drugs. And so, like, like, there is this sort of, like you said, like, people will say, like, you have a problem, you need to go to treatment. When it's, like, sometimes treatment makes things worse. Like, sometimes treatment, like, inflames feelings of guilt. When you really need to, like, embrace the things that nurture you and make you feel safe and make you feel alive again. Yeah, I agree. And I, I think that, um, addict culture can be a really dangerous place for addicts, right? Where it's like, wow, to, um, to continue feeding the subconscious, to continue feeding the deep mind, um, narratives of, I put myself in danger or whatever those things are versus, the amazing choices that we're making of I'm choosing life and vitality after not choosing that, you know, Mm -hmm. and like, wow, what a like wonderful paradox to exist in and, and to be choosing those things for ourselves. And gosh, I, I think that that's so powerful that you were able to be in that moment and then just make that decision, especially with that, that face, that reaction in the hospital. I feel so um so similarly to you in in that moment of um being met with different faces of the system and then just like calling bullshit and being like no like that reality cannot be mine because I'm choosing to live right now yeah and I feel like you know I don't want to disrespect any outlet that like does work for other people but it's like you said like we have to be like as a culture we have to be open to the fact that like everyone's path to recovery is going to be totally different and everyone's openness about it you know like Uh like (laughs) I remember you know how quiet I was about it when I was dating because I was just like uh this is a red flag for anyone who's gonna date me like, yeah, like, you know what I yeah, mean? It, it's very weird, right? I mean, I definitely, I don't really tell people upon meeting them yeah. that I am sober. You know, that's just something that either it's going to come around, either they're going to care, they're not going to care. And either way, I don't identify with it. Yes. Um, I, while I'm also totally an open book about my experience, you know, I, I really, I choose to identify myself in other ways. And so it is like a detail about who I am. But to be quite honest, too, I also live with this openness of like, yeah, if I'm like 65, and I'm so just like down to clown, and I want a margarita. (laughs) Sure. Yeah. You know, and so I leave the space open where I'm like, I don't know, maybe that's going to be a line for me sometime. It's not right now, you know, and I accept that. And then I accept the change of the possibility. I really, when I stopped drinking, I gave myself just a, a year 
I was like, just figure out what happens in a year when I don't go to bars, when I'm not interacting over alcohol, just make these big life changes and see if I actually like it. You know, it's really just kind of a thought form that started to inspire me. And growing up in South Africa, I was drinking by the age I was like, I was like 11. It's just mm-hmm. very European there. It's not a big deal. Everybody's going to have champagne and give the kids champagne. Yeah. You know, it's very, it's very casual. And so it really hadn't ever hit me that I could do a whole year without it yeah. until that year. And then that year marker came up and I like got kind of nervous and I was like, oh no, am I going to drink? Yeah. And I was like, wait, no, I'm not going to. This year has been really great. I'm just going to carry on. And so it's kind of funny. Like every year that this passes, I like, I get these like bitters where I'm like, oh no, am I going to choose to drink? And I'm like, Aww, no, it was another great year. Yeah. So I just keep signing myself up for another year. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. I like that you're like, you know, when I'm 55, maybe I'll have a, have a drink because I feel like too, like, there's this expectation that largely comes through programs that like if you quit drinking you can never have another drink again and like I have you know friends who were like straight up like alcoholics who are like okay I can drink like on the weekends and it's not out of control drink it's like a couple of drinks you know and like for me like I drink but I'm not gonna go shoot up you know what I mean like I enjoy pot and so Uh like they're like it's just like everyone has to choose like what is healthiest for them but there's this like I feel like there's this group of you know, people who are like, no, you have to quit everything. And if you don't quit everything, then you're just replacing your. Then it doesn't count. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. You know, just like a, an odd detail or an odd fact about, about me is that I actually love women who are pre- who are previously junkies. I think that <laughs> there's something that's like so big and there is there something that's so courageous to me about being in a point of pain and then searching in a cosmic and ethereal way in that in that other space of heroin that starts to really connect people in such a cosmic way now I would never like tell anybody to like do heroin yeah but I've noticed that the women that I've known who have turned to heroin have also been women who have come out with amazing ethereal understanding and amazing colors and just the like the vibrancy of um, heroin palette, like this like really pretty <laughs> like, soft thing. It's so um, soothing. And so I, uh, you know, that's just a, that's just an offbeat weird thing that I've noticed with my friends that, um, definitely I have a lot of friends who have recovered from heroin addiction and I see this like consistent, colorful vibration coming through all of them. And, and I feel it with you too. And I think that it's really beautiful that you in a way turned to something so colorful to experience in that deep space, um, at a point of probable extreme pain. Oh, thank you for saying that. That's so sweet. I mean, I think that like, I think that like anyone who like had a moment of addiction, who like had like lived through that like sadness and that self-destruction, like, you Uh know, I think that it, 
it, that people who formerly were addicts make excellent spiritual advisors and readers because there's like, I'm not judging anyone for anything. Like, and then it's also like, I'm sure you feel this way too, where it's just like, Oh, I understand. Like I understand pain. Like it might not be the exact same pain, but like, I understand like how, like how does, how despair looks. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Once you have hit a bottom, it is really humbling, you know, Mm -hmm. and then sometimes the best way to deal with being humbled in that way is to just continue being judgment free for anybody else who hits that because that's definitely what we want in that place when we hit that rock bottom is somebody who's just going to look at us and be non-judgmental and see us as us and tell us that we're going to upgrade. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when you like, what are some of the ways that you feel like updating a grid? Like, what do you think that like are some outlets for updating addiction in your opinion? And I know that that's like so vast and it could look so yeah. many different ways, but what are kind of some of your thoughts on that? Yeah. So I think that first to dismantle the taboo of being an addict, Mm-hmm. that being an addict is just one of many different character types, one of many different personality types, and that there's nothing taboo about a personality type. Yeah. There's definitely taboo in action, but certainly we're not holding any taboos against the addict who are just working every day and then working out every day, you know, like, we're like, wow, that person is so focused. And it's like, well, yeah, because like they're, they have an addict personality. Yes. Um, And so I think that's the first step is dissolving the taboo around being an addict. And from there, looking into, okay, so like if you or somebody that you love does have an addict personality, what brings the most joy to focus on, you know, and going with that. And it's so funny to follow joy. And um, maybe if somebody is not in a place where they can healthily perceive joy, then perhaps um, a, another way to think of that is to, See what you can focus on that offers a sense of limitlessness or that offers a sense of life force. You know, if we start to um, look at ourselves as addicts who are addicted to feeding ourselves life force, Mm -hmm. then we're already in a completely different direction than the like throwing up in an alleyway, alcoholic bar days or like junkie in in the back of a house days it becomes like oh I I'm every day feeding myself life force by for me like hopping on the bike or finding some new food to love Um, and really diving into life force addiction um I don't think there's any shame in the game of being a life force addict yeah, I know for me, I got super, super, like, I got super into hiking and, like, night, night bike rides. And that was, oh, like... Oh, that's so beautiful. But I think it helps, too, to just, like, reconnect with your body. 
you know, yeah. and then like reconnect with the world around you. That's just like, like nature is always going to be pretty healing, pretty simple, pretty straightforward, mm-hmm. full of, you know, good smells. And so like, I think that like just going out and grounding and reconnecting to nature is a good way to like, if you're not, like, even if you're not feeling inspired, if you're not feeling great, like, you know, you're not feeling like excited about quitting something, it can at least like help you find some sort of gratitude, I think, to just connect. Totally. Yeah. I I think that addicts are probably people who generally need a little bit more connection than um, some other personality types. And finding that connection in um, within ourselves and within our actions is really healthy. And, you know, there's certainly ways to meet people through hiking and through bike riding, right? In the same way that you would meet people through, um, you know, a like trap house or a bar. Yeah, definitely. Or even let's like, you know, a special interest group, like, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, finding an astrology mm-hmm. group or right. finding, you know, a mindfulness group, even if it's just like online. Cause who knows? Like, I, I don't know. I'm like, who knows if what's going to be going on with more shutdowns or not, but. Oh yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Probably stick with some online stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. It's find some online stuff. Yeah. Online stuff, find your community. And I think that too, like it doesn't matter like how small or big the addiction is. It doesn't matter if it's like cigarettes or like you don't necessarily feel like you're an alcoholic, but like you're having two drinks of wine a night. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't matter how small or big it is. It's just like, Mm -hmm. you know, like gauging whether or not it's healthy for you and whether or not you want to change. Mm -hmm. Totally, totally. And, and then just giving yourself the permission to change, just saying like, I am open to changing into my highest potential And then just seeing what happens, you know, I mean, for me, one day that could mean that I have a glass of wine, but for somebody else, that could mean that they don't have a glass of wine Mm -hmm. and, and just really allowing ourselves to pace. And gosh, you know, that being said, I think that that's also something that's so important as, um, as addicts to know in hindsight is that we chose substances because it gave us an unimaginable upgrade right. at one point, right? And so those versions of ourselves are perfect because they led into the version that we are now, which is continuing to lead into our dream version, which will be our oldest self. Yeah. And so just be- bearing with it, you know, like, yeah, I've made a silly ass out of myself by doing a whole bunch of drugs in front of a whole bunch of people and, you know, for whatever reason, I really needed that. I yeah. I definitely um, went through different phases of using different kinds of substances for different kinds of healing. And I'm not that person anymore. But I see why I did those things, you know, like I know why I turned to cocaine. I know why I turned to alcohol and to cigarettes and even coffee and THC, you know, and just being so gentle with myself and being like, yeah, I mean, I don't care to do cocaine right now. (laughs) But I also know that I did it because there was something in me that needed to shake up and that needed some sort of vitality to feel more alive. Yeah. 
and um, and I'm grateful for her having the courage to look in different places to find that. And I'm also really grateful for myself having the courage to leave. I the cocaine was like a whole thing. Yeah. Didn't like the withdrawals. Was like, whoops, never doing this again. Yeah. <laughs> and that was pretty much that. I mean, I just like up and got myself addicted to cocaine and then up and left. Yeah. So, yeah. And that was difficult. Um, wow. I understand why people turn to the system to get themselves out of that because, I mean, it is really substantial. My way of exiting cocaine addiction was I kind of looked around at some point and was like, okay, I don't want to do this anymore. I want to do something a little bit more meaningful with my life. Yeah. And I realized that all of my friends were engaged in cocaine. And so I actually just left. I moved out of state. I started a completely different job and I moved myself to a small town where I knew I couldn't get drugs. That's awesome. Yeah. That's, I mean, yeah. Yeah. You know, I put myself on like a small town house arrest and it worked out really well. I mean, for the, for easing myself off of cocaine addiction, there were crazy things that happened there. But but I, I conquered that one, yeah. you know, and yes. so we can do all of these different things, you know, and um, yeah, I also think just for um, whatever reason, it's also really important for me to say right now that all of those friends that I left in the midst of us all being addicted to cocaine, we're all still friends, you know, like, uh, yeah, it's just this like interesting phase of life that we all went through. And now we're all a little bit older than we were then. And we're a little bit more responsible than we were then. And it's really beautiful to like, to have a crew that you can party with and then to continue growing and giving yourself the permission to grow also gives, your community permission to grow, which I think is really important. Uh, Yeah, I agree with that. And I think that like, I mean, I'm still friends with, uh, you know, the friend that I mentioned who went from NA for pills to shooting up, like he and I still talk every once in a while. I still check in with my ex-husband who's back, who's back in Sweden now. I don't, you know, talk to him all the time because he's my ex-husband for a reason, but like we're, (laughs) we're, we're friendly. We, we wish each other well. And so I think that like, even just being that person who left first, like ma- like that could have even triggered something in someone else who was like, oh, like this doesn't have to be the way it is. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And sometimes it's difficult to be the catalyst of change for yourself, but sometimes it, it makes it easier when you know that you're going to be the catalyst of change for others by doing that, you know? So when one of us upgrades, we all do. Yeah. And... And it's really um, such a walk of courage to be able to even be open to that, right? So, yeah, anybody who's listening, just know that, like, I support you. Yeah, me too. Same here. We're pretty much um, out of time now. This, like, I feel like this went by so fast. And I would love to Yeah, just, hanging you know, out with you as a breeze. Yes, I know. <laughs> I know. We'll have to, like, do some more, you know do some more talks in the future, but if people, I would be honored to. Yes. Yes. Perfect. If people want to find you, reach out to you, book a reading with you. How do they do that? Yeah. They can find me at snake channeler on Instagram. They can also go to snakechanneler.com and schedule a reading via the website. And we are open to talking about anything. Um, There's nothing too taboo for the snake channel. 
we are literally here to unimaginably upgrade people at wherever you are. And those upgrades are always accessible. Um, if you would like to just like dive into some free content, then there's also a Snake Channeler podcast. And there's something like over a hundred hours of talking on my Instagram. So feel free to dive into that too. Um, and yeah, we are, we are open and looking forward to connecting anybody to their limitlessness. Awesome. I didn't realize you had a podcast. I'm gonna have to check it out now. So that's awesome. Thanks. Yeah, this is such a been such a pleasure. And um, I'm just I'm so happy that our paths have crossed a few times and that we have come together in some kind of real world connection today. (laughs) And I'm just so grateful for you and your work and your presence in this space. It's, It's really rad. And I think that you bring such a colorful and upbeat presence to our world. And thank you. I think you do too. And I think that like, I think that what you do is so cool with the snakes. And I love, I mean, I love the fact that you use snakes anyways, because they're just such important symbols of not only medicine, but transformation. And so I feel like it's just such a perfect, like beautiful way to give readings. Thank you so much. We appreciate it. My snakes (laughs) are so much love and um yeah we are we are here for you always awesome well thanks again thank you I hope that you have a really beautiful rest of your day and to all of the listeners thank you so much for being here I um look forward to getting to know you more yay yay (laughs) 